Episode 8, The Lost Sheep We traveled for months, a journey that normally took days. We stopped at many places where Jesus preached. He performed miracles, cured the sick, and exercised demons. We were at Beth Fagay, where we had rested for the Sabbath. We followed Jesus as we walked towards the synagogue. There were many of us. We proceeded in groups of three or four. We walked slowly. I walked with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joanna. Martha, Philip, and Susanna were close behind me. Jesus was far ahead of us, but I could still see him. He walked alongside Mary Magdalene and Peter. Matthew, John, and Big James walked closely behind them. We are so close to Jerusalem, we could walk there in an hour and return before nightfall, Joanna said. We cannot. Even that short distance is too far to travel by foot on the Sabbath, Mary said. Joanna nodded. I could see that she was embarrassed. Mary gave her a reassuring smile. I knew that my son would stop and rest here at Beth Fagay, Mary said. Why is that? I asked. This is where we stayed all those years ago, she replied with a faraway look in her eyes. She smiled broadly. This story will surprise you, she said with a smile. Please tell us, I said. My husband Joseph and I regularly visited the temple each year during Passover. We traveled with a large group of people from Nazareth and Bethsaida, we usually traveled with my sister Salome and her husband Zebedee, too. We always left Jesus at home, just as Salome and Zebedee left their sons at home. This is customary when children are very young. When Jesus was nearing the age when he would be subject to all of the commandments required of adults, we took him with us during our annual Passover journey. He was still very young, around 12 years of age. We traveled with many other pilgrims to Jerusalem. We took a room in Beth Fege because we knew it would be difficult to find a room in Jerusalem. During Passover, the number of people in Jerusalem increases fourfold. Once we had settled into our room, we left with several others for Jerusalem. We visited the temple. There were so many people at the temple. We struggled to find each other in the crowds. At times, I found myself with Salome and Zebedee, and then Joseph and Jesus would join us. Then they would be separated from us by the crowds. After many hours, we knew we had to return to Beth Fege. I made the short journey with Salome and Zebedee. When I reached Beth Fege, I waited for Joseph and Jesus. When Joseph arrived, he was not with Jesus. He told me, I thought Jesus was with you. We were both very frightened. We returned to Jerusalem in search of Jesus. We frantically searched everywhere. Finally, after three days, we found him. He was at the temple, sitting among many experts on the law, he was attentively listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed with his understanding of the law. 
I was distraught and relieved. I was also not happy with my son. He had caused Joseph and me so much distress. I said to him, Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus replied, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? At the time, I did not fully understand him. Now I do, she said. How long did you remain in Bethphage? I asked. We left within a few days, she said. I remained quiet. I was not sure why Bethphage was so significant. Mary must have realized this. Jesus realized that he had caused me and Joseph a lot of distress. He remained by my side for the remainder of the journey. He even accompanied me to the women's court of the synagogue at Bethphage, she said. She glanced at Joanna, who had remained silent. Boys usually do accompany their mothers at the synagogue until they have reached the age at which they are allowed to read from the Torah, she said. Joanna nodded her understanding. When we reached the women's court at the synagogue, a woman was seated near the place that we sat ourselves. She was bent. She had suffered a terrible injury or affliction. She could not right herself. She could not sit upright, she said. That is terrible, I whispered. Jesus thought so too. I could see the sympathy and compassion in his eyes when he looked at her. He could not help her then. He was still a child, she said. My son's ministry is all a part of God's plan. He sent his son so that we may all have salvation. My son's part in this plan could not be made known all those years ago. It was still a secret, she added. He could not cure her without revealing his secret, Joanna said. Yes, that is why he left her without helping her. It was 18 years ago. Now he has returned. I know he will seek her, she said. After walking for another minute, we reached the synagogue. It was larger than I expected. We walked to the women's court at the side of the synagogue. There were many large stone seats that resembled large steps. We walked to where Mary Magdalene had seated herself. Mary, the mother of Jesus, sat next to her. Martha and Susanna reached us. We all seated ourselves. Not far from our seating was a very large window. I could easily see into the synagogue. I started to look around the crowded women's court. It did not take long before I saw the woman that Mary had spoken of. She was seated by herself. She sat in a bent position, hunched forward with her head looking towards the ground. Martha's gaze followed mine. Who is she? she asked. She is the reason we have come to Bethphage, I said. What? Martha asked. We were interrupted by shouting coming from within the synagogue. Pontius Pilate is a bloodthirsty tyrant, a man yelled. Martha and I both got up from our seats and walked closer to the window. I saw a young man. He was dressed poorly. He was excitedly speaking to the congregation of men in the middle of the synagogue. The synagogue was crowded. 
I looked around the room from my viewpoint at the window and soon saw where Jesus sat. He was seated next to Matthew. Matthew noticed me and gave me a brief nod. Judas was on the other side of Jesus, and he was standing. He was looking intently at the excited young man. Pontius Pilate has killed some of our people, he shouted, looking directly at Jesus. Jesus remained silent. The young man continued shouting. He killed many Galileans who were worshiping at the temple, he added. Was there a disturbance at the temple before he did this? Judas asked. I do not know. I just know that he set his bloodthirsty dogs on many Galileans while they were worshiping, he replied. Jesus stood up. He looked at the young man. Have faith, my son, he said. Things that can cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come, he added, his voice rising as he spoke. He began to walk towards the front of the synagogue. He continued to speak as he walked. The young man was led to where Jesus had sat by Judas. He sat down. I saw then that the young man was very young, possibly as young as my nephew John. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves, he said, reaching the front of the synagogue. He turned and faced everyone in the congregation. I exchanged looks with Martha. He is going to warn them so they do not cause a disturbance at the temple, she said. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the rest of the Galileans because they suffered this way? No, they were not. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. The eighteen who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, they were not. But unless you repent, you too will all perish, he said. Jesus paused and looked around at the sea of faces before he continued. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. He said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and have not found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? The man replied, Sir, leave it alone for one more year. I will dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. The room grew quiet. Jesus lowered his voice a bit and continued. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. What must we do to increase our faith? Someone shouted. I looked in the direction of the one who spoke and saw that it was Thomas, one of the apostles I did not know well. Jesus smiled and replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to a mulberry tree, 
be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. He paused and continued, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will you say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Instead, you will probably say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. When I am finished, then you may eat and drink. Will you thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? No. So you must say, when you have done everything you were told to do, I am an unworthy servant. I have only done my duty, he said. There were murmurs in the crowd. I saw Matthew nod his head in agreement. Repent and prepare yourself, Jesus shouted. A man in the congregation stood. I have heard you speak before, Rabbi. You always speak of the kingdom of God. When will it come? he asked. The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus turned his attention towards those he had been seated with before he had moved to the front of the room. I shifted and saw that more apostles, including my son James, were seated behind them. The time is coming when you will long for one of the days of the Son of Man, when you will not see it. People will say, There he is. Do not go running after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation." Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, Fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on a day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one should go into their homes for their possessions, and no one working in the field should try to retrieve anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken and the other left, Jesus said. The room became eerily quiet. The silence was broken by Judas. Where will this happen, Lord? he asked. Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather, Jesus replied. He walked away from the front of the room towards the door. Some of those in the room, including his apostles, exchanged surprised and bewildered looks. He left the synagogue. His apostles quickly got up to follow him. Hurry, we need to leave, Martha said. No, he is coming to us, I said. She gave me a strange look. I turned and looked at Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus. 
A small smile formed on her lips. Within moments, Jesus entered the women's court. He walked directly to the woman who was bent over. Some of the men in a synagogue followed him. Many of the women in a women's court became uncomfortable. Jesus reached the woman. He laid a hand on her head and spoke in a loud voice that all in a women's court could hear. Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. He removed his hand from her head. She hesitated and then slowly straightened herself. Soon she was sitting upright. She stood. Thank you, Lord. Praise God, she said, with tears streaming down her cheeks. One of the men looked angrily at Jesus. There are six days for work. You should come and heal on those days, not on the Sabbath, he said. Some of the men with him murmured their agreement. Jesus turned immediately and faced the man. You hypocrites, on the Sabbath, each of you untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water. Shouldn't this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath from what bound her? The murmuring stopped. The men were silent and shamefaced. Jesus turned and walked out of the women's court. Martha and I hurried to follow him with the other women right behind us. Later that night, as we sat near our fires, Jesus came to the fire where I sat with Martha, Mary Magdalene, Susanna, Philip, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Lord, will we move our camp tomorrow? The Sabbath will have ended, I said. No, we will move our camp the following day. I must visit with someone tomorrow. I would like for you and Joanna to join me, he replied. Of course, Lord, I said. Yes, Lord, of course we will, Joanna replied. Who will we visit, I asked. Jesus smiled. We looked at him and waited for an answer. His answer was not what I expected. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and you lose one of them. You will leave the remaining ninety-nine in the open country and go after your lost sheep until you find it, will you not? Yes, of course, Lord, I said. Yes, Lord, Joanna replied. And when you find it, you will joyfully put it on your shoulders and return home. Then you will tell your friends and neighbors, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same manner, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. We both agreed with Jesus by nodding our heads. I thought he had finished, but he had not. He then told us another parable. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. She will light a lamp, sweep her house, and search everywhere until she finds it. And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors together and say, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same manner, there is rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. Once again, we agreed with him. We had readily agreed with him after the first parable, and I was certain that we both understood him. 
I wondered why he felt it necessary to tell us the second parable. I did not mind. I relished hearing any of his teachings, but I did think it was odd that he told these two parables that impressed on us the same teaching. Then he began a third parable. This time he stood and really emphasized the details of his story as he told it. He spoke to us as if he were trying to convince us, but we were already convinced of the wisdom of his words. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the man divided his estate between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. He then squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything he had, there was a severe famine. He was in need. He went and hired himself out to a man who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were given to eat, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he asked himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare while I am starving to death? He set out the next day and returned to his father. He said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. His father was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. His father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. We shall feast and celebrate. This son of mine was dead, and now he is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. They began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him what was happening. The servant replied, Your brother has returned, and your father has killed the fattened calf to celebrate. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, All these years I've been slaving for you, and have never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. When this son of yours who has squandered your estate with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The father replied, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But now we have to celebrate. Your brother was dead, and now he is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. When Jesus concluded, he left us. We exchanged looks of confusion. We were not arguing with him, I said. You may be tomorrow, Mary Magdalene said with a smile. The next day, Joanna and I left early with Jesus. As we walked away from the camp, we were silent for a short time before Joanna broke the silence. Lord, we are heading in the direction of Bethany. Will we visit with someone in Bethany? she asked. 
He smiled and hesitated before he answered. Yes, we will, he said. Who? Joanna asked. Our friend Simon, he replied. Lord, I only know of one man named Simon in Bethany, Joanna said, her face showing some tension. He is the one we will visit, he said. Joanna looked at me with surprise. I, too, was surprised, but I did my best to conceal my surprise. Joanna did not. I am not sure he will be pleased to see us, Joanna said. Jesus chuckled. Did he invite us, she asked. Of course not, Jesus said, his smile widening. We soon reached Bethany. We went to the house of Simon the Pharisee. Before knocking on the door, we saw Simon coming towards his house. I was shocked by his appearance. His face was terribly swollen on one side. As he walked towards us, I saw that one of his hands was swollen too. He struggled while he walked. We stood on his doorstep and waited for him to reach us. He looked at us without speaking. Jesus was the first to speak. Simon, may we come in? he asked. I am not worthy to have you under my roof, he replied. His words were not tinged with malice or sarcasm. I was shocked. The Simon that I knew was always surly and sarcastic. Let me be the judge of that, Jesus replied. Simon opened the door to his house. We followed him inside. I did not see a servant present. We went to his table and seated ourselves. He walked into another room. When he emerged, he was carrying water in a pan. He struggled to carry it. Joanna got up and offered to help him. He politely refused her assistance. No, please, I must do this, he said. He placed the water before Jesus' feet. For you to wash your feet, Lord, he said. He then made two more trips, bringing pans of water to me and Joanna. When he had finished, he sat down. We washed our feet. When we had finished, Jesus turned to Joanna. Joanna, do you remember the man we met while we were leaving Jericho? Jesus asked. Yes, Lord, she replied. Will you tell Simon about this man? he asked. Joanna hesitated and then she began. As she spoke, I recalled the event in my mind. Simon, when we were near Jericho, a blind beggar called out to Jesus. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Some of those near him told him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and asked him, What do you want me to do for you? The man replied, Lord, please restore my sight. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And the man's sight was restored. That man is now with us. He is one of Jesus' followers, she concluded. Did I cure him? Jesus asked. Simon did not hesitate for a moment. No, Lord, he replied. How was he cured? Jesus asked. His faith cured him, Simon replied. 
Simon, you are a Pharisee, Jesus began, before Simon spoke up. Yes, I am a Pharisee. I was once a prominent one, Simon said, matter-of-factly, without any pride. I angered some of your brothers just yesterday, Jesus said. Simon nodded and forced a small smile. Why were they angry with you, he asked. I healed a woman on the Sabbath, Jesus replied. I understand why they condemned you, Simon replied. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? If you have a son or even an ox that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath, Jesus asked. Yes, Lord, he replied. Jesus smiled warmly at Simon and continued. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed, God, I am thankful that I am not like other men, extortioners, the unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes. But the tax collector, standing far away from him, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This man went to his house justified, but the other one did not. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Yes, Lord, Simon replied. I must return to those who follow me. Do you know where to find us if you should seek us? Jesus asked. Yes, Lord, he replied. Remember all that I have told you, Jesus said. Yes, Lord, I will, he replied, keeping his eyes cast down. Jesus, Joanna, and I rose to leave. We walked to the door. When we reached the door, I heard a gasp from Simon. I turned around and looked at him. He was examining his hand that had previously been swollen. It was no longer swollen. His face was also no longer swollen. He began to cry. He was clearly overwhelmed with emotion. He looked in the direction of Jesus, who had already left. Joanna and I left Simon's house. As we walked away, I saw that Jesus was smiling to himself. He glanced at me. Simon was lost and now he is found, he said. We returned to the camp. The next morning we packed our things and moved. We did not travel far before we stopped again. I was walking next to Joanna when we stopped. She looked around. I saw her expression become grave. We have stopped very close to Bethany, I said. Yes, we have, she said. We are even closer to the Mount of Olives, Susanna said from behind me. I turned around. That is just outside of Jerusalem, I said. One side of the Mount of Olives is very near Jerusalem, but we have stopped on the side of the mountain that is close to Bethany. There is a path that will allow us to cross easily, she said. This is a popular place for pilgrims to camp. It is just far enough from Bethany to be safe, Joanna said. We were all quiet for a few moments, busying ourselves with the unpacking of our things. Finally, I broke the silence. 
Jesus will soon enter Jerusalem, I said. Yes, I believe he will, Joanna said, craning her neck to look beyond the people that had traveled with us. There are far more people with us, I said. As we have gotten closer to Jerusalem, more and more people have joined us to follow Jesus, Susanna said. I looked around at the many people. Some had started fires. Others simply had wood prepared, but they had not actually started their fires. One older woman rested near a small fire while others around her unpacked their things. I looked to my side and saw a group of four Pharisees. One of them greeted me. Shalom, the Messiah will soon enter the holy city, he said. His companions made an effort to silence him. Shalom, I said. I did not say any more because I was confused by his companions' reactions. They are following Jesus, and yet they are still frightened to do so, Susanna said quietly. I nodded my understanding. Come, help me pull the tent out of the cart, I said. Look, someone is bringing Jesus a donkey. It is just a colt, Joanna said. I strained to see beyond the crowd of people. John and Matthew have brought him the colt, I said excitedly. Why have they brought him a colt? Susanna asked. She made her inquiry quietly, but the Pharisee that had previously greeted me suddenly shouted very loudly, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem! See your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I inhaled deeply, remembering one of the holy scriptures that Halphi had once quoted. Zechariah, I said. Susanna and Joanna both stared at me. This is what he prophesied, I said, feeling myself grow more excited. He will soon make his way into Jerusalem. Hurry, we need to finish setting up our camp, Susanna said. We quickly unpacked our camp. Others around us were doing the same. We all acted with a sense of urgency, without anyone directing us to hurry. Martha and Philip walked to us. Are you nearly finished? Martha called. We still need to finish setting up our women's tent, and we need to arrange the wood for the fire we will prepare later, I said. Philip quickly walked to the cart. I watched him gather several pieces of wood. He carried some to the Pharisees. Thank you, son, the oldest one said. The other three thanked him, too. Please let us know if you need any help with your camp, he said. Do you think we need help, one of them asked. Philip smiled and looked at their encampment. It was totally disorganized. Yes, he said. The man laughed. We will try, and if we need help, we will call for you, he said. Philip, that is my name, he replied. From where do you hail, Philip? the man asked. Caesarea Maritima, Philip responded. You are a Samaritan, are you not? the man asked, still smiling. Philip stiffened a bit. His smile faded. I was until I was cured by Jesus. Now I am a Jew, he replied. 
The oldest of the men reached forward and placed his hands on Philip's shoulders. He kissed each of his cheeks. Then I hope you will be a Pharisee, he said with a smile. Philip looked relieved and moved with emotion. He nervously smiled. I just might become a Pharisee, he said with a broad smile. He is the one you praise. He is your God, who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes, the man said. Deuteronomy, I murmured. Joanna smiled at me. The man removed his hands from Philip's shoulders. He continued to smile at Philip as if he were smiling at his own son. You and your companions will join me later for a meal, Philip said. Yes, we will, the man replied. Philip returned to us. He soon brought us some firewood. I turned around and saw that Martha and Susanna had managed to finish setting up the tent. We need to gather some water before we leave for Jerusalem. We will be too tired to do so once we return, she said. I will take care of the donkey, Philip said. I watched them exchange looks. I was amazed at how close they had grown. I wondered if Philip would one day be a member of my family. I looked at Joanna. The expression on her face told me that a similar thought had entered her head. They are very good together, I whispered. I agree, she said. Do you know where the nearest well is located? I asked. There is one not far from here, she said. We walked to the cart and grabbed buckets. Martha and Susanna followed us. Soon all four of us were hurrying towards the well. Joanna was correct. It did not take us more than a few minutes to reach the well. It was easy to find because there were already several women at the well drawing water. Later, when we returned with our buckets of water, we saw that Jesus had gathered his apostles around him. I placed my bucket near our cart. I wiped my hands on my dress. I looked at Martha, Joanna, and Susanna. He is leaving very soon, I said. The Pharisees that Philip had spoken to started to walk towards Jesus, who was still surrounded by his apostles. One of the Pharisees, a finely dressed young man, walked past the other three and reached Jesus. Good rabbi, I have followed you since you left Jericho. Please tell me what I must do to inherit eternal life, the young man asked. Joanna and I walked ahead of Martha and Susanna. We stopped once we were only a few feet away from Jesus. We reached Jesus as he answered the young man. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, Jesus replied. Yes, of course, I have kept all of these commandments since I was a boy, the young man said. But you are still lacking. Sell everything you have and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me, Jesus said. The young man frowned. He was silent. His expression changed from one of joy to one of total devastation. Jesus looked at him for a few moments before he continued. 
how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. One of the young Pharisee's companions asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus smiled warmly and replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus turned his back. Then I heard Peter speak, and it surprised me. We have left all we had to follow you. No one who has left home or family for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in the age to come. Anyone who sacrifices for the kingdom of God will receive eternal life, Jesus replied. Jesus turned his attention to his apostles. He looked at them lovingly. Do not worry about your life or what you will eat. Do not worry about your body or what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storehouses or barns. And yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? If you worry, can you add a single hour to your life? No, you cannot. If you cannot do such a small thing, why worry at all? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Not even King Solomon in all his regal glory was adorned like the lilies. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not be concerned about what you will eat or drink. The Gentiles of the world strive after all these things. Do not worry about these things. Your father already knows that you need them. Instead, you should seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you. Do not be afraid, little flock for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor as I have just instructed that young man. Provide yourselves with purses that will not wear out, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also, he concluded. I looked at Judas, who shifted uncomfortably. As always, he was dressed finely. He noticed my stare. He held my gaze for a moment and then returned his attention to Jesus. Jesus looked into his eyes. Judas returned his stare, but after a few moments he averted his eyes. He looked down at the ground. Jesus stepped closer to Peter. The other apostles stepped closer to Jesus, too, even Judas. I did not, but I heard the next words he spoke as clearly as if he had whispered them in my ear. We are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. Peter was speechless. He stared at him. Tears filled his eyes. 
I felt myself tremble. Joanna linked her arm in mine. I looked at Judas and saw that he too trembled. Come, Mary, Joanna whispered. We return to Martha and Susanna. Mary, what is wrong? Martha asked. Jesus has predicted his death again. He just told his apostles that he will be killed and then rise again after three days, I said. He speaks in parables. Do you think his words are true, or could he simply be using a figure of speech? He could be warning his apostles that they must accept any insults or condemnation they receive when he enters Jerusalem, she said. I did not answer. I was not sure how to answer. I did not want his words to be true, but I could not remove Peter's look of agony from my thoughts. He had looked directly into Jesus' eyes as he had spoken the words. I knew that Jesus would not have lied to Peter. His words haunted me even though I did not want to accept them.